What's going on, guys? It's Yahavi David Sinclair Speaks, and you are now tuned in to the Sinclair Speaks show. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast on platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything that you need in a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app and start your journey today. It's that time. What's going on, guys? It's your hobby, David. St. Clair Speaks. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks Show. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks Show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. I'm your host, Yahavi St. Clair. Now, guys, we are sitting here with an impactful, incredible guest, Jason Greer. Now, I was reading his bio prior to this interview, and I'll be lying to you if I said I wasn't inspired. Jason Greer is the founder and president of Greer Consultant, Inc., but it's not just the business that I'm inspired by. I'm inspired of the trials and tribulations he went through to get to this path today. Now, I'm not going to dive into, you know, the, the whole sauce right now. I'm going to wait till, you know, we, you know, we're a little bit further on in the interview and talk about, you know, how Jason got on this path to success today and how he's changing and impacting lives in the employment industry. Now, Jason, I want to welcome you onto the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. Please tell our audience a, you know, a little bit more about yourself. Give us maybe a three to five minute introduction on your brand, your business, and of course, what brings you onto the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. Well, let me just say this first, Yavi. Thank you for having me on because your energy is, man, it, it, it's getting me going. So I appreciate that, man. I do a lot of interviews. So, you know, the more energetic, the better. So I greatly appreciate you, sir. Uh, my name is Jason Grizz, just as you said, I'm the founder of Greer Consulting, Inc., an employee and labor relations consulting company. Um, just found out three months ago that we're in the top 5% of employee and labor relations consultants in the country. So it's just been, man, it's been an incredible ride. We also feature uh, diversity training. Uh, we've done uh, organizations as high as the US Army, Nike, Enterprise. I mean, we just basically do a mixture of everything. It's been an incredible ride. Incredible. All right, so I wanna kind of like swing back to everything. I want you to kind of like catch me up and catch the audience up, catch everyone up. How yeah. did you get to this path? Did you know this was your calling? What was that moment for you to say, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is what I'm passionate about. Man, I'm going to tell you this right now. You know how you can read all these success books and you go to go online. I think there's a new business book that comes out, you know, every day. And everybody says, you know, I grew up, I just, you know, at an early age, I knew what I wanted to be. Man, I wanted to be an attorney. And when I graduated, I'm dating myself here. I graduated in 96 from uh, Valparaiso University. Went to law school in 96 and promptly flunked out by 97. <laughs> I'll tell you, I was probably the worst law school student in the history of law school. Um, but my biggest thing was I love social work. I got a bachelor's degree in social work, a master's degree in social work, and knew that I wanted to do something to help people. Law was cool, but it really was not what I wanted to do long term. I was just thinking more of, it was easier to tell girls that I was a law school student as opposed to telling girls that I was in social work, right? Um, did social work for probably about two years, loved it, but it's one of those things that it's a tough life. 
you're dealing in people's misery and you're not necessarily getting compensated for it. So I always say that there are really two warriors left in this country, teachers and social workers, because they are the ones who are out there dealing in the muck and the mire of, of the world, while also trying to magnify people's positions and people's lives. Nevertheless, I got a master's degree from the University of Illinois in human resources management, um, became a federal agent with the National Labor Relations Board, fell in love with labor relations as a whole, um, transitioned into consulting around 2005. And I'm going to be brutally candid with you, brother. My hope was just to get one or two clients so I could pay bills. I had a house note. I had a car note, you know, just basically to live. And through a lot of luck, um, and sort of being in the right place at the right time and meeting a woman who I call my matriarch, uh, Brenda Bacon, CEO of Brandywine Senior Living, who became my first client. We literally went from one client to, I think we have a roster of about 64 companies that we service at this point. So it's been, so to answer your question, did I know I wanted to be this? No, absolutely not. But am I glad I became this? Absolutely. So I want to talk about this because yeah. in what you do, right? And what you do, there has been a lot of change lately, right? In the last few years, there, there's been a lot, and especially in relations and in employment. It, yeah. it, and one thing that I've read about in your bio, of course, with diversity, all the things that you've went through, mm -hmm. what are you experiencing within your industry as a professional in terms of just, you know, like maybe HR relations, things of that nature? Um, for me personally, I'll, I'll share a quick short story. I've had sure. issues where I was dis I was really I was really, in, in other words, I did not know I was going through it at that moment. But now looking back, I was dealing with a lot of systematic you know, racism in the place of employment, which sure. led me into just going the entrepreneurship route. So yeah. I want to know, how are you, you know, making that change with an industry? Because I'm reading your bio, but of course, I want you to you know, tell the audience and, and you know, put in your sure. own words. Yeah, great question. Um, first, I'm sorry for what you went through in terms of systemic racism. And unfortunately, one of the issues that I see as a consultant coming to these various organizations is oftentimes convincing companies that they do have issues related to systemic racism, right? Because let's be real, it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of one of the one of the two buzzwords. You don't talk about politics, you don't talk about race, especially in the workplace. The problem is, yeah, we're being directly impacted by politics and we're being directly impacted by race. And when you consider the George Floyd moment, where all of a sudden you had this groundswell of support around the world in terms of uh, race, in terms of you know the old Rodney King statement, can't, why can't we just get along? You had this groundswell of support from corporations saying that we prize diversity. The problem is that I'm seeing and that so many of my colleagues have seen is it's one thing for an organization or organizations to say that we prize diversity. It's another thing to actually do something about it. Because now, let's say that you, let's say you work for company ABC. The George Floyd moment happens. Now there's a greater sensitivity related to employees of color and marginalized employees. Now we wanna to come to you directly to hear your experiences, but the challenges that I'm seeing is oftentimes for employees of color, there's this reticence about sharing their story because a year ago, when I tried to share my story, you didn't want to have to, you didn't want to hear what I had to say. Now you want to hear what I have to say, and my next thought is, okay, what are you going to do with this information? Is if I say that my boss John Smith is racist, is that going to hold me back from promotion opportunities? If I say that my other boss Jane Smith is 
homophobic. Let's say in the case of our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters, right? Is that going to hold me back from promotion? And then underlying all of this is now that you've accumulated all this information about our collective experiences, what are you going to do about it? Because it's one thing to give lip service as an organization on your website about diversity and, diversity and inclusion programs. It's a whole other thing to actually do something about it internally. So what I face as a consultant is getting companies from that spot of, okay, theoretically, we know that we need to make a move on diversity. Theoretically, we know we need to make a move on implementing corrective job actions to make lives better for our employees and our managers. Getting them to move from that theoretical space to getting into that actual space of now we're making life better by implementing these programs, implementing these policies, but more importantly, taking the data that we've accumulated from your employees and making that into real time so that we're bringing greater sensitivity to our managers. Greater, bringing greater sensitivity to the organization. Because let's be real, sir, unfortunately, you were not the only brother to have experienced systemic racism within your place of work. It happens every single day. We just get so used to dealing with it that it's just like the paint on the wall. It's just there. And it's unfortunate that that for, it, for some, it's a normal, right? Yeah. And it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be normal. So Let's talk about diversity since we're on the topic. What's going on, guys? Thank you for streaming this episode of the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. Don't forget, it's never too late for you to join the Hustle Hive Academy, which is a monthly subscription coaching program, which starts at only $50. Access to the Hustle Hive Academy includes direct access to a professional network. That's right. You're going to be a part of my networking group. You also get informative content resources like my infamous series of app recommendations for entrepreneurs and small business owners. Also, you get all of these secrets behind the scenes from the Sinclair Speak Show podcast. Well, with that being said, let's resume to this current episode. Sure. What does that look like? You know, being black in business is one, right? You, you, right. Being black in business is one thing, but it's having true. these conversations, you're going to these major corporations and you're talking about the D word, you're talking about diversity, right? right. So you're going in there, you're, you're trying to you know, have this conversation. And some of these companies are established for years, for years, and they're already, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say most companies are stuck in their ways, but they already have something that works for them. And, you know, they're experiencing all this, you know, blowback from the outside world and diversity. And there was also something you mentioned a good point about, you know, the whole George Floyd and the riot. There's been guilt going around. And, and I'll be honest, with you, a lot, there has been a lot of guilt going around. And yeah. you know, a lot of people that aren't people of color, especially, I, I noticed a lot of people started reaching out to me and, you know, wanting to get on my podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm right, like, oh, right. I see what this right. oh, we're trending now. Oh, I I see. But you know, it, it's very, it's so interesting that no one talks about that. But yeah. it, I literally experienced it firsthand. But I want to know what's that conversation? Are you like be real? I, I know you're being real, but do you experience resistance when you go to these major corporations that's you know in some cases, there are a lot of, you know, Caucasian white men in these higher ups and you're a successful black man. You're going in there like, Hey, this is diversity. Um, this is what we need now. You know, this is where we're at as a country. 
Um, how can we get better? Is there workshops? Is there trainings? What are you doing? Do you have these conversations? And I know it could be uncomfortable. I know it could be very, very uncomfortable for people to have these conversations, but how do you get over the wall of being uncomfortable and saying, all right, this is what we need to talk about. Here's why we need to make the change because there are brothers and sisters, as you mentioned, that are well qualified for these positions, but they're not given a fair chance because of the color of their skin or the background or their name, right? We right. talked about this before we recorded. You asked me about the origin of my name, but that's right. another thing, right? If I'm applying for a place of employment through LinkedIn, the first thing they're gonna see is my name. Right. Who's this, right? They don't see John or, or Todd, sure. you know, sure. it's not a common name, but I wanna know how are you making a difference of breaking down those walls? Go for it, Jason. Yeah, wonderful question, Gabby. It really comes down to the fact that they're paying me to break down those walls, right? even if they don't quite understand what they're paying me for. Um, part of having that crucial conversation, so I wrote a best-selling book last year with my uh, co-author, Phil Dixon, called Bias, Racism, and the Brain. Proud to say it's not an international bestseller. And this book happened, there's a reason why I'm bringing up the book. Uh, this book happened as a result of the George Floyd moment because we started asking the bigger question of what can we do to move this conversation forward, especially within the corporate setting. And we we're really just hoping to sell maybe 10, 20 books. And we had no idea that it was going to become an Amazon bestseller. We had no idea that we we're going to have people in uh, you know, different countries contacting us, letting us know that not only did they enjoy the, the book, but it's helped them to move that conversation forward in terms of uh, diversity. So one of the things that I've encountered over the course of my time in corporate America is the fact that so many companies are so good about saying the right things. We care, we value, we are seeking diverse candidates. We want to make this world a better place. We want to make this organization a better place. But their actions don't necessarily jive with their words. Where I come in is, you know how they say uh, there's two sides to the truth. There's your side, there's their side, and then somewhere in the middle, there's the truth. I operate within that middle ground because I have that crucial conversation with organizations that looks a lot like this. You have 73% of your workforce is African-American, but you have 99.9% .9 of your management force that's white. And you want to assume that race doesn't play a factor in the way that your employees look at you. You wanna assume that race doesn't play a factor in the way your managers look at your employees. Don't be dumb. Now, coming back in terms of the neuroscience of leadership, one of the things that I've realized is part of the reason you have brought up how oftentimes you're talking to Caucasian men about diversity issues. Part of the reason why we have so much reluctance amongst uh, the majority in terms of accepting diversity, in terms of accepting inclusion, in terms of accepting the fact that they may be racist, from a brain perspective, our brains hate change especially force change. And now, now you're talking about, well, we've always had this good old boys club, even though we don't like to call it that, of managers who come from the same schools, who came from the same communities, who look like me, talk like me, therefore they're me. That's what we call the in-group, right? From a brain-based perspective. The only way the in-group is ever going to accept the out-group, <clears throat> excuse me, the only way the in-group is ever gonna accept the out-group, the out-group being someone who doesn't look like me, talk like me, think like me, therefore they're not me, basically people that look like you and I, Yavi, is if we make them part of that change. 
because when we oftentimes when we talk about diversity, we talk about every other group of people, but we don't talk about white people. So white people are often put in a position where they are the outlier. And when you're in a position of being the outlier, you automatically perceive that people think that you're the enemy. But if we're going to move this conversation forward, a conversation that envelops all of us, regardless of where you come from, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your sexual orientation, regardless of who you are, what you are, and what made you into who you are, I have to bring you into this conversation. Meaning if I'm going to hold a focus group centered around African-Americans, if I'm gonna hold a focus group centered around Asian-Americans, if I'm gonna hold a focus group centered around, you know, whatever other diverse population you wanna talk about, I have to also hold a focus group centered around white people because their conversations are just as important to the health of the organization as our conversations. Once I get people to the point where they understand that they are part of the change, as opposed to being the people who are going to make the final decision on a change that doesn't impact them, that's when we start to get some traction. And, and it's the conversation that we need to have in order to move forward. We, we can't walk on eggshells about it. We cannot walk on eggshells Absolutely. about it because we're not going to get anywhere. We're not going to get anywhere. You know, it's been, I mean, quite the journey, um, you know, for African-Americans, you know, with this recent riot and, and all the things that's yeah. been going on in the world. And I was talking about this um, maybe a couple months ago. And I'm like, man, I, I forgot what I was watching. And, you know, it's a, it's, it, I guess it was a TV show and it was a black man. And he was talking about, man, I think it's time for me to go see a therapist and, yeah. I need to, you know, do some therapy. And he was like, man, I, I can't see a white therapist. I can't go see a white therapist and talk about the, the, the issues that I'm experiencing as a black man, because it, it just won't talk to their spirit. They won't get it. And yeah. that's where I'm at too. And when I heard that, I'm like, that resonated with me. It made so much sense because there is these emotional scars that we go through. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this now. You know, when we see riots, when we see these shootings, when we see all these things that's going on around the world, that affects us too. That affects us Absolutely. That affects us mentally. You know, it gives us all of these emotions that, of course, that we don't need. But of course, you know, we got to rise above it. We must rise above it. But we need to have these conversations. It's the only way for us to move forward. There's no way you're going to pro progress in life if you're holding on to these negative emotions that's draining and pulling you down, but definitely getting professional help, talking about these things, having these uncomfortable conversations, being the change. And, and as you said, you know, it definitely does start with action. It starts with action. So I want to switch yeah, can, no, can I say something it. to that? Yeah, go ahead. We definitely have to rise above, but there's a cost to rising above, mm. right? Yep. We're all walking around with racial PTSD, Look, I was a victim of cross burnings when I was 17 years old, right? By age 18, I'm walking down the street. My father, he was the uh, uh, first African-American principal in Dubuque, Iowa history. And my mom, my parents have been married at the point for maybe about 30 years. And I grew up in St. Louis. There was my senior year in high school. So there's no way they're going to move me out my senior year in high school. So my father moved to, to Dubuque. They just did a commuter marriage. We had no idea that our family is going to be the first family to come to Dubuque under the constructive integration plan, whereby they were going to bring over 100 Black families into Dubuque over the course of 10 years. Our family was the face of this constructive integration process, and we had no idea that it was happening. So the KKK comes in, they march against my father, they burn crosses in protest of my father. Uh, they find out where we live in St. Louis, so they're 
consistently breaking out windows in our house. We learned early on that uh, you can only make the same uh, insurance claim to an insurance company before they think that you're trying to run a scam. And here's why I say this, because people were writing the N-word on our house every other night. So we had to, you know, we're constantly trying to repair the home. I'm 17 years old. I'm seeing these crosses erected in protest of my father, erected in protest of me, erected in protest of my mother. And I'm still trying to figure out who I'm taking the homecoming, right? At age 17, now I'm dealing with the same things that my grandfather saw when he grew up in Tennessee, right? Going through the same things my father saw when he grew up in Tennessee. The difference being, we're talking about 1991, 1992. My father grew up in, what, 1940, 1950s. The problem is, though, I did not have, I didn't get help because at that time, my parents are old school. My parents went through segregation. So their mentality was, well, it didn't kill us. I'm 18 years old. I'm home for, you know, spring break. We're living in the Dubuque, Iowa at the time. And I'm walking to the gym. I'm listening to Sade. Life gets no better than listening to Sade. At the time, I'm a Walkman. So I'm sitting there dating myself again. These four white men drive by me and they're calling me the N-word, telling me to go back to Africa. You know, typical stuff, right? This man gets out of his car. He's holding a bottle of liquid that I thought was Gatorade because it was yellow. He walks up to me and I'm looking around because it's just me and these four white men. He throws the bottle at me. I, get, I realize it's urine because it gets in my mouth. I had a white shirt on. My shirt is completely covered in this yellow liquid. And I would like to tell you that I fought, but the reality is I ran because I was scared. There's nothing more humiliating than standing in front of a mirror, trying to wipe urine off your face. You're in the shower for 45 minutes because you just can't get clean. And then you have to go out to society and act like it didn't happen, right? The reality is we're walking around with these wounds and it becomes difficult because you try to tell society, greater society about these wounds, but oftentimes they don't want to hear it. So there's truth to power when you say it's really important that if you get, I think mental health, dealing with your mental health is so critically important, the sooner the better, but it pays to deal with somebody who's at least been through something that you can relate to. Because now I don't have to walk on those eggshells just as you talked about. Now it could just be real in terms of my culture, I can be real in terms of my experiences, but I can be real in terms of trying to reclaim who I am because I don't want to continue walking around as that wounded 17-year-old boy. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I really appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that story. My, my whole demeanor just changed. My, I got like, when I hear stuff like that, man, I get yeah. so, oh, I get so hot, man. I get so hot. I get so hot because it's just like, ah, man struggles of a black man I mean, things that we don't need to go through and we go through it and it's like man it's just and and for it's unfortunate because things like this happen so often but right. people don't come on podcast shows and talk about it but when you hear it it's like man and like jason like you're you're a great you know, you're a phenomenal person but to hear that like man i'm sorry that you know you had to go through that man it's do you think Brother, i appreciate that i want to ask you this mm -hmm. 
and I, I don't, I hate to say everything happens for a reason. Do you mm-hmm. think because of everything that you went through in terms of, you know, things like that, experiences like that, do you think that's like your driving horse now, you know, being, you know, a successful black man, you know, you know, being a president and founder, you know, put some respect on your name, but you think, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But is, is that your driving factor? Without a doubt. Look, man, when you have, when you're young and you have people who, like when I was in first grade, I think when I was in kindergarten, I got tested because they thought I was special needs, right? And that was only because I was the only black kid in my all white school. When I was in third grade, they tested me for special needs because the nun, God bless the Catholics, right? But, you know, the nun who, um, Sister Marie, and I'll call her out, I don't know if she's still alive or, or what, but told my father that black kids can't learn at the same rate as white kids, despite the fact that on national testing, I was testing out at 96 percentile on every level except for math. But the idea was still that I was less than. Watching my white peers consistently being given things that I was never given. Having a national organization in the form of the KKK legitimately say, you don't belong here going to Valparaiso University where I'm walking past white people who had never been around black people and they're touching my hair just because they had never touched the hair of somebody black. Treat me like I'm a farm animal, right? For some people that might break them, for me, it intensified this desire that I'm going to eat your lunch. That's my whole attitude. You can beat me, you can talk, you can talk nasty to me, you can say things about me that are not true, but understand that you fuel my grind. Now, here's the other side of that, because I'm always going to be vulnerable with you, brother. The other side of that is I can't turn it off. And I'm having to learn how to turn it off because I achieved the success. I achieved the success. I achieved the success. People pat me on my back saying, man, you're so successful. I'm like, yeah, but I got to work a little bit harder. Because there's this fear that if I don't work hard, there's this fear that if I'm not successful, that I'm going to prove them right That's the other side of that racial PTSD that I'm just going to be brutally candid with you about. While it fuels me, if I'm not careful, it's going to consume me. And I don't think that I'm in the minority here because I think so many of us go through this, right? It's this feeling of when I walk into a boardroom, the only other African-American I see is my reflection in the mirror. If there's a mirror in the boardroom or my reflection in the window. And I'm not just sitting in that boardroom because they just bringing me in. I'm sitting in that boardroom because they're bringing me in to do something because why else would I be there? So I have to make sure that my dialect is correct. I have to make sure that my presentation's on point. I have to make sure that I'm the best of the best, not just for my own gratification, but because I know that if I suck, that might cast some type of thing in the mind of somebody who in that room is a hiring manager So the next time he or she or they come across a African-American candidate, I don't want them thinking, well, I remember that one black guy who came and did a presentation for us and he was no good. So maybe I might have the same issue with this person. So I'm gonna go ahead and pass. So I'm not just thinking in terms of what's good for me in that moment. I'm thinking in terms of what's good for people who are coming after me. It's It's a heavy cross to bear, but I don't know that it's any different than any of us bear. It's very, you know, you make a very good point. That's it's just very interesting because I, I've never looked at it like that, but you make a very, very, very good point. Also, um, yeah, you make a really good point. So I wanted to kind of like, 
I, stay staying on topic here. I wanted to know, um, you know, what's your thoughts on, you know, black entrepreneurs? You know, I am on, you know, platforms like LinkedIn, of course, and I'm on Clubhouse. And I'll be honest, I thought I was the smartest person in the room until I got around <laughs> these other successful black owned businesses, et cetera. Sure. And black LinkedIn, I did not know black LinkedIn was a thing until Clubhouse. And I am literally blown away. And another thing, just to kind of like go back to, you know, what drives you, what drives me is they never gave me a management position, right? Mm. So that's that's my thing. I'm like, you know what? I'll build it on my own. I'll go get it on my own. And Absolutely. this is the way I'm going to go about it. So I actually build mine through podcasting. So for me, you know, I established my network and I just pretty much just build my brand and, and, and stack up on that. But I wanted to know, what's your thoughts on the rise of black entrepreneurs? As In my opinion, and, and I'll let you go from here. I think black women are, they are dominating. When I say dominating, they are yeah. dominating what they do. And I love, and I think us as black men, we definitely need to do this more. I love how they're there for each other in terms of support. Um, on Clubhouse, for example, you know, one person would start a room and then all of them would just flock and just support and just be there for maybe five, 10 minutes. Or if yeah. they make a post on Instagram or LinkedIn, say five or 10 of them would comment with an emoji or keep it up. Good work. Like they're always there in terms of support and, you know, black women are killing it in entrepreneurship. So I wanted to know, what are your thoughts on, you know, black entrepreneurships, black, black entrepreneurs now versus what entrepreneurship used to be for people of color? I think it's everything. I think you hit it right on the head is there, there's a certain point. It, it's funny because you know how people talk about with COVID, um, they found that they, uh, employers are having a hard time getting people to come back to work, right? And they continue to claim that it's because of the unemployment assistance that people are getting. They get paid more to stay at home than they get paid to go to work or they just don't wanna work. Man, please, the internet has made so many things possible in terms of exposure that at a certain point, people said, I am tired of working for you. I am tired of getting treated like crap by you. I'm trying, I'm tired of being marginalized. I'm tired of the systemic racism. In fact, I'm tired of being the smartest person in the room, but being paid the least. So I'm going to go out and get my, I'm going to go out and get my own bag, right? So if you see me get a little excited, I love the fact that there are so many Black entrepreneurs entering multiple spaces, but I'm not surprised that so many of those entrepreneurs are Black women, because if you want to talk about a marginalized group of people, Imagine being a strong black woman who says the same things as her white colleagues. Yet her white colleagues are deemed as being go-getters, but she's being deemed as being aggressive, right? She's better educated. She has more life experience. She has a greater sense of cultural competency. And how about this? She's just better at her job than the people she reports to. And even the people that report to her. So why wouldn't she go out and get it? If my efforts, if I'm being paid, let's say average executive is being paid 250 a year, right? Not counting bonuses. But my efforts are producing $60 million to the bottom line for this corporation. And I'm consistently being passed over for management positions or promotion, you know, promotion opportunities. But my white colleagues continue to get it left and right, and they can't hold a candle to what I do. You'd be a fool to not go out there and get it for yourself. 
My attitude is simple. My attitude is this. I'm coming for everything they said I couldn't have. And I don't know what they're telling me I can't have right now because I've eclipsed everything they said I couldn't have. That to me is the heart of black entrepreneurship because black entrepreneurship is not just about making money. Look, money's great. Don't get me wrong because you need the money to pay your bills. You need your money in order to start developing that generational wealth that so often uh, we were not involved in. But there's also something else that comes with entrepreneurship. It's a sense of purpose. Now my direction is being governed by the one above me, but more importantly, from my heart. And I can do anything, I can say anything, and watch this, Yahya, I can be anything. Come on, man. I'm getting excited talking about it. Man, you see my facial expressions over here? I'm like, man, I feel like you, like I just listened to a hot freestyle. I'm like, mm, like I'm coming for everything you, they, I'm coming for everything <laughs> they said I couldn't have. On, mm, yeah, that's, that's dude, that's, dude. The, the worst, the worst thing you can tell me, the worst thing you can tell me is I can't have it. What? Oh man, you firing me up right now, man. You about to make, I feel like running 10 miles after this interview. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you, bro. I appreciate you. Oh man. And you know, I'm so glad that we, you know, of course, you know, we have the opportunity to talk about this because, you know, this is a conversation that needs to be had. Um, as you mentioned, you know, being one of the smartest people in the room, being the least paid, that happens way too often. And, and there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs, especially black entrepreneurs that are offering free over the fee. And that's leaving them, that's yes. leaving them so like, it's really hurting their business. It's hurting their brand. Yeah. Yeah, go, go ahead, go for it. Can, can I challenge that though? Yeah, go for <clears> it. Look, for my first year in business, I can't tell you how many times I did things pro bono, absolutely free. Because what I realized was that was my only way to get my foot in the door. I didn't have the marketing budget. I couldn't afford a website, right? I needed an opportunity just to show what I could do. Now, please understand, you can't really build a business model off free unless you happen to be, you inherited billions of dollars, right? But I think there is something to be said for that new entrepreneur that bites the bullet, offers services for free or for a reduced rate, just to show what I can do with the understanding that you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. On one hand, you're getting the experience so that you can now tell other people, I have clients. But on the other side of that, remember, if you give free service to a company, to an organization, or whatever it happens to be within your industry, they're always going to expect free from you. So you can't come back. It's a very difficult adjustment to come back and say, hey, look, I know I did it free for you last year, but my rate is now X, Y, Z. They're probably going to look at you and say, well, we can't afford that. Then it's time for you to move on. Right? I want to talk about, um, you make a good point. I want to ask you this. Um, hmm. This is something that, you know, it comes up a lot and it, you could say it's a trending topic, especially uh, with black businesses and you know new black businesses and people of color, of course, right. professionalism, professionalism. Mm -hmm. Like I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a quick example. You know, say we had this interview scheduled and I'm 20 minutes late. That that's right. unprofessional, right? right? Can we talk about because you know there are a lot of successful black people out there. You know, I give a lot of props and praise. Mm -hmm. But one thing I definitely, I was having this conversation with myself yesterday. I'm like, you know what? 
I'm going to up my level of professionalism. I'm professional, but I want to up it. I really want to be over the top professional. Can you talk about the importance? Because they're already looking at us sideways, right? Yeah. We already get that look. So can you talk about the importance of carrying yourself as a business professional, as a uh, successful black business? It's everything. It's, I'll give you an example. I don't believe, I don't, when I do podcasts, so we have this in common since we're doing this podcast. I don't care if a podcast has two viewers or a podcast has millions of viewers when I'm on it. I have to give it my best every single time I show up because I live in this realm of I'm not just doing this for me. I'm doing it for other people who look like me who are going to come down the line, right? If you look at the pictures from uh, back in the day when, you know, for historically black colleges, and I'll say this because my father's a Tennessee State grad, you would see people showing up to class wearing suits. Sometimes it was the only suit as their Sunday best, but they showed up to class wearing ties because it was all about the presentation. So when we talk about professionalism, look, you can be the smartest person in the room. And I like that, that you brought that up. You can be the smartest person in the room, but if you look like trash, nobody's gonna listen to you, right? If your meeting's scheduled for 9 a.m., I don't care how great your PowerPoint presentation is. I don't care how great your intellectual knowledge is. I don't care how good your game is. If you make those stakeholders and those decision makers wait 20 minutes for a presentation that was scheduled to start at nine, no one's ever going to take you seriously. Today is all about your personal brand. And I remember hearing that five years ago, thinking that was the most narcissistic thing I'd ever heard before. Personal brand, what are you talking about? No, this is the day and age of personal brand. What's your brand going to be? People talk about Jay-Z and the way that his hair looks right now. Do you realize Jay-Z paid the cost to look however the hell he wants to look now? Because when Jay-Z was coming up, what you saw in the rap videos, I guarantee was a hell of a lot different than what you saw, what we didn't see rather, when he showed up to the boardroom to meet with all these decision makers, when he was trying to get product endorsements, when he was trying to move his companies forward. That was the business Jay-Z. So the public image might differ from the personal image in terms of what he shows up as. But when you get to the point where you're worth hundreds of millions of dollars, then maybe you can make a decision on how you're going to look. That's just my opinion. You make a very good point. And this just swings me into my next question. It's a really good follow-up. Mentorship. I yes, want to talk, I definitely want to talk about mentorship. Who's, in, who's impacted your life um, as, as a mentor? And also the importance of mentorship. Uh, do, do you believe in order for, you know, say, you know, uh, aspiring entrepreneur or anyone that wants to get started, do you believe that they need a entrepreneur for them to be successful? A hundred percent. But I, I, I have a different take on, on mentorship though. Um, my mentor is a woman by the name of Brenda Bacon. I mentioned her earlier. She's the CEO of Brandywine Senior Living. She's my matriarch. When I call her my matriarch, she was my first client, but she was also the first person to tell me that I could be more than just a subcontractor. African-American woman worth millions of dollars, founded one of the more successful assisted living companies in the country. She serves on numerous boards. When this woman walks into the room, everything stops, including time. 
because that's how powerful she is, right? I was blessed that she took me on board as her consultant, but more importantly, I was blessed that she became the matrix to me, right? She shattered my expectations of what I could be because she saw in me what I could be, but more importantly, I saw what she had become. So mentorship oftentimes looks like the direct conversation like you and I are having, but I have hundreds of mentors. They just don't know I exist because I've read their books. I've watched their videos. I've imagined what my life can be. And for as successful as I've become, I'm still imagining what my life could be because now my mentors look like Jay-Z. He don't know who I am. It looks like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He has no idea who I am, right? It looks like Bob Johnson. It looks like all of the entrepreneurs and something. I read this story about this, um, this boy who, um, this, I think this happened maybe a year ago. Uh, this boy who saved this drowning girl. I don't even remember the boy's name, but I'll say that he became my mentor because he showed me what it meant to be selfless. He showed me what it meant to live for something bigger than yourself. And sometimes living for something bigger than yourself means that I'm willing to give my life for somebody else's life. So mentorship to me is everything, but I take it from <clears throat> the physical expression of having a conversation to the psychological expression of imagining having a conversation with somebody who's achieved something I want. Man, that's good. You make some good points. But I, I do want to add one thing. I think you also, you know, you know the, the saying, uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yes, sir. I definitely think people need to put themselves in position for the mentorship because yes. someone once said this on my podcast, when you're open to opportunities, you see them all the time. So prior to me interviewing you subconsciously, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, he could be a good mentor for me, right? So as I'm interviewing you, I'm like, man, like I'm already fired up. I'm like, yeah, yeah definitely. So as you said that, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Jason, you don't even know you're my mentor now. But I appreciate I, you. I definitely, I definitely just want to uh, piggyback on what you said, but I strongly believe in mentorship. I strongly believe in it. I had two mentors in my life that impacted me and, and literally shifted my perspective and as you said, showed me that I could be much more. And there's so many different types of mentors too, as you yes. mentioned too. So even talking to you, I'm like, man, like, man, Jason is like, um, uh, like a, like, a, I don't know, like a speaking mentor, but you're like a, a mentor that kind of like resonates with me and like, kind of like fires me up internally. I'm like, all right, this is someone I could definitely connect with and uh, talk all business and, and, go to that next level. Because again, back to what we talked about earlier, when you see someone that looks like you doing what you want to do on a high level and yes. went through their own personal experience of trials and tribulations and still overcome and still exceeded expectations, yes, that for me, it really inspires me, really inspires me. So I want to talk about, I know like we're going towards like the end of the episode, but I want to know- sure. What are some things that we could look forward to going into the fall season? Because it's the first of the month, it's September 1st. Right. And um, literally we're going right into the holiday season. Summer is pretty much over. What are some things that we could look forward, uh, you know, coming from you? Is, is there a new book coming out? Is there some services? Tell us all the goodies, man. Don't be holding back, Jason. Come on now. No, this, this is great, man. So I will, 
so I will make this official announcement here. Um, I'm in the beginning stages of putting together another book that's going to come out next year. Um, that's going to go more in depth in terms of uh, my story with cross burnings, um, but also segueing into a conversation piece around we need to start having a bigger conversation on what it means to be human beings, right? Because we know theoretically we need to get along, but let's be real and practice, we kind of suck, right? Um, numerous interviews, um, a lot of things that are happening uh, business-wise, unfortunately, I can't share because of the nature of my business, but I will continue to be, um, you know, for a while, man, I didn't want to be part of social media. I just wanted to sort of, you know, lay in the cut, just do my job, go home and cash my checks. But I'm starting to get more active in terms of social media because I, I understand how big of a platform social media can be in terms of moving this conversation because in my heart, look, I love business, but where my heart is centered is around this racial conflict. It's a racial conflict, not just in terms of society, but also a racial conflict in terms of in dealing within ourselves. You know, I hear so many people talk about PTSD and I brought this up earlier because this is gonna also be another focus of a project that I'm putting together is around the idea that, and now I'm gonna to talk to my people, right? I'm gonna to talk directly to my people, I'm gonna to talk directly to your listeners. And I know you have a broad audience and I pray that I don't offend anybody when I say this, but I'm gonna to talk directly to black people. We have been marginalized, brutalized, hurt, and brokenhearted for centuries. And we continue to shoulder through as though we're okay. And so many of us are not okay. I love the fact that we're now having conversations around dealing with your mental health. I love the fact that I hear so many African-Americans talking about getting counseling, therapy, letting out their feelings, but I'm also gonna add something else that we're not really dealing with and that's being vulnerable because we've lived in a society that has not allowed us to be vulnerable, right? I'm at my worst when I try to be tough and I'm at my best when I try to be vulnerable. And there has to come a point in time in which we as black people can be vulnerable with each other, that we as black people can be vulnerable with society with the understanding that we're at a point now, man, where we don't necessarily need the approval of the majority to be who we're going to be. So the big project that I am just understand I'm just in the beginning stages of putting together is around this idea of how do we deal with racial PTSD so that the generations that come behind us don't inherit the stuff that we inherited from the generations that came before us. Ooh, I'm super excited for that read because it, that is something that is a really I'm mad we we can't go a little bit more in depth on that one but Hey, you gotta have that, me back, man. Oh, I definitely will, because that is a really good conversation to have, uh, PTSD. And another thing that we didn't even talk about, I mean, we don't literally need to trauma dump everything, but mm -hmm. we didn't talk about the gun violence. We didn't talk about, like, we literally just right. talked about the racial stuff, but we do get it on both sides, right? Yes. So not do we get it from this side, but we also get it from this side. And then, you know, it's all pretty much conjunct and crammed in, into our mind and... Mm -hmm. There's no way for us to move forward because we don't talk about it. We don't address it. And uh, vulnerability is a strength. So 
man, what a conversation. This was really good, Jason. I like, hey, thank you for one, for one, this interview, number one, I kind of coming into this interview, I was already motivated and fired up, but you ever just, you know, had that conversation with someone and they just freaking just like took your mind on a journey and just, I am blown away. And I definitely want to give you a huge props and praise and give you your flowers for what you're doing, because there is some, there's some blowback. There's some resistance that you do experience. Not everyone's about diversity, right? Agreed. In 2021, believe it or not, not not that many people are about diversity, right? I seen a post where, you know, Martin Luther King wanted to just bring peace, and they still shot him, right? So it's like, <laughs> it's can I say something to that if you don't mind? Ahead. And I'm, I know that we're closing the show, but what drives me crazy is the George Floyd moment happens, and there are protests that happen that in some cases become uh, become uh, 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 people burning down uh, cities. And you will see people who happen to be white posting about Martin Luther King saying Martin Luther King wouldn't approve of this. But you shot him. Critical race theory comes up and you hear the conservative talking point that Martin Luther King wouldn't approve critical race theory. Yet understand before critical race theory was an actual thing, understand critical race theory is something that's taught in grad school. It's not taught in kindergarten. It's not taught in high school. It's not taught in grade school. It's taught in grad school. What do you think? What do you think attorneys? What do you think social psychologists? What terms did they apply when they actually considered whether or not we were, were segregation actually impacted, positively or negatively impacted our country? It was critical race theory before it was critical race theory because of asking the bigger question of, are these laws in some form or another impacting people of color? They're not so, protecting us. I'm sorry, Jason, but they're not protecting yeah. us. They're not, they're not. Yeah, I, I, just had, I, I just had to say that, I'm sorry. No, it's, it's cool, it's cool. I just think it's a matter of, we live in a society where we are more um, connected than we've ever been in terms of social media, but we are more disconnected than we've ever been because we've not figured out how to get along. Right. Until we can figure out how to get along, we're going to continue to have all of these silos and people talking amongst each other within the silos. So it becomes confirmation bias. Right. But we're not talking across silos. And as a result, we're just those of us who are members of marginalized society. Continue to feel this frustration that um, things aren't going to get better. When the reality is things can't get better, but they can only get better when we start talking. Ah, well, quite the conversation. Uh, this is pretty, this was really good. I, I want to like leave on a really, 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 really high praise here. And again, give you a big props and praise because Thank you. this was a really good interview. This was a really good episode. And I'm glad I got to do this with you. I'm super glad I got to do this with you because Maybe I have one last question and yeah. this would probably be the last question and it's a really good one to end off with. Mm -hmm. In your experience, everything you went through, obviously, of course, mm -hmm. the listeners, if you didn't hear it, definitely rewind and, and, and listen to the story. What is it like being a black man in America and being black in business for you? What's that like for you? If you could sum it up in one word, what's that like for you? Hard. It's hard. Can I do two words? 
hard and humbling at the same time. It's hard because I don't see a lot of people who look like me doing what I do. It's humbling because the work never stops, the expectations never stop. And my memories of those who said I would never be where I am never stop. So it's humbling. Yo, Jason, I am so fired up. Like I said, I feel like I could go run a 10 mile uh, jog <laughs> after this interview because you know what? Listening to your story just makes me go into my own personal stories of what I went through. And I, you know, I'm I I'm the type of person where it's like, you know, I've worked in these major fitness corporations. I've worked in Westchester, New York and Wall Street, and I experienced it there. And I also sold tickets in Times Square, New York City. So I definitely experienced it in the streets. And the streets is one thing, but it definitely in the streets is one thing. But when I experienced it in uh, the, the corporations, back to your point that you made earlier, all of that drove me to do what I'm doing now. Uh, to bring yes. light onto it, to, to interview guests like like yourself and and show the world that, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're not just, you know, music artists or yes. club promoters or, you know, gigolos or whatever the case may be. We're, we're consultants. We're, you know, we're founders. We're presidents. We're speakers. We're authors. You know, yes. we're creators. We are more than a conqueror. There is a lot more that we can do, but we don't get enough credit for it. There are some that have voices, but didn't discover them yet. But there are right. also people like Jason. There are also people like Jason that are out here making a difference, that are having these conversations that a lot of African-Americans don't want to have. There are people, there are African-Americans, I kid you not, that are in their 70s, that are in their 70s that won't have this conversation. So again, I give you a lot of props and praise for you to go out here on Front Street having these conversations because you're not just on a podcast talking about it. You're, you're bringing, you're bringing the battle to the corporations and you're out here and you're like, look, I'm not just representing me. I'm representing everyone after me. Right. And that's legacy. So for all the, you know, the, the fathers that was out here doing it for us before we're doing it now. And like to sum up this interview, I'm super excited because I realized that we're doing it now. And I'm like, We're doing yeah. it it, it's, it's amazing how you can make a difference just by taking action on the things that you believe in and having a higher purpose. And if your purpose is larger than you, that purpose is meant for you. So Jason, I want to say thank you again for jumping on the podcast. Um, man, I, it, it, was, it was an honor, man. It was an honor. This was, this was what I needed, but also what the listeners needed as well. Brother, the honor was mine. I mean, you are, let me just say this, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on your show. You're a great interviewer. You have so much energy. You're smart. I can't wait to see where you end up. <laughs> I can't wait to see where you end up. So, you know, I can look at my boys and say, hey, I knew that guy. I knew that guy, right? You're, dude, thank you for having me on your show because I love this. I, I, I gratefully appreciate it. And I'm definitely, this is not the last time you're going to hear from me. I can promise you that. Um, I definitely want to, I definitely need to stay in contact with you. I'm all about networking uh, for sure. If there's anyone I could definitely introduce you to, I definitely will do that as well. But for Thank my you. listeners closing out this episode of the St. Clair Speak Show podcast, you could stream this episode streaming on all major streaming platforms such as Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Radio Public, 
you can watch this full interview from start to finish on YouTube. Now, if you want to connect with Jason, Jason, please. Oh my gosh, this is the most important part. Please let our listeners know where can we find you and stay up to date. Uh, throw out your social media. Uh, you know, uh, let us know where we could follow you and also your websites as well and your book, please. Absolutely. So definitely go to my website. It's uh, hiregci.com. Uh, Greer Consulting is called GCI. Uh, hit me on Twitter at Labor Diversity, Instagram Jason Greer, LinkedIn. You can find me Jason Greer and. I'm very big on staying in touch with, I have people who contact me who have no interest in business. They just want to have conversations. Talk to me, hit me up. Let's just have a conversation. You heard it here, guys. You heard it here, guys. And you could also click the link for Jason's website. It's going to be in the episode description of this interview. You could click the link and it'll take you directly to his website or his social media tags. I'll see you guys in the next episode of the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. Until then, it's that time. I'm out. Peace.